What's happening, y'all? Today's guest is an FBT favorite. Kaya Willis is a content creator at Base Politics, as well as a fellow with Objective Standard Institute and the Koch Associate Program. A Massachusetts Institute of Technology graduate, Kaya worked as a data analyst before transitioning her career to advocating for reason, individualism, and liberty on social media. A former so-called non-binary person and leftist activist, Kaya gives us hope that the upcoming generation will in fact bear a lot of heterodox black thought. Because as always, there is no such thing as the black perspective, just black people with perspectives. have you on the show today so we knew when we launched a podcast that you were going to be probably one of our first guests because you're one of our favorite young up and coming though I feel like you're not even really up and coming anymore you're just here you have arrived young heterodox voices you're such a joy to follow on social media and your Substack and all that kind of good stuff and also I'm hoping to get a glimpse into the Gen Z mind when we when we talk to you and what can be done about that generation though I'm really only a few years older than you I just it's funny that we're even in different generations technically i feel like you could just be my little sister so super pleased to have you on but before we get into really deep topics how about you just lay the foundation and kind of tell us a little about your little bit about yourself how you grew up what the environment was like um and if you had any sort of political thoughts or leanings as a as a i mean you're still very young but as an even younger person what that looked like yeah first thanks for having me i'm really happy to be here and talking with you so yeah, I, I moved around a lot growing up, but I spent most of my childhood in uh, Dallas, Texas, Dallas area, not Dallas proper right outside of it. But uh, yeah, I grew up in Texas. And although Texas is obviously a pretty conservative state, although it's becoming more more liberal, more left now that people are moving there from California, um, when I was growing up, it was very conservative. And although I was uh, raised Christian and I went to a Christian school, I had a lot of influence around me that was very left Democrat. And that was kind of what I was told was just because I was black, I had to agree with everything that came out of the Democrat Party, everything that was labeled left or liberal. So at um, a young age, you were yeah. told because you are black, you should be a Democrat. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. my, my very first kind of political memory was in 2008. That was actually the first year I had moved to Texas. And it was during the election. And what I was told was everyone has to vote for Barack Obama because he's black and anyone who doesn't vote for him is racist. So because he's running as a Democrat and he was the only black candidate, um, the Democrats support black people and the Republicans don't. And anyone who's Democrat is good and anyone who's Republican is bad. And because you are black and you are good, you have to be a Democrat. And your family told you that more or outside influences or both? Both, both, both for my family and also like the church that I went to and um, a bit of my community outside of outside of that. But like I said, I went to I went to a Christian school that was very much more Republican. It was also majority white. And so definitely in my life, there was the split that I had in my mind of like white people are Republicans and white people are therefore like racist and bad, but black people are Democrats and therefore black people are not racist and good. But yeah, okay, that was wow, wow. from a young age. Yeah. Okay. So keep going. I kind of interrupted you. You were still talking about your journey there. So at a young age, you were told you were a Democrat and then where'd you go from there? Um, well, I, I believed I, 
somewhat believed it and somewhat didn't. Um, I think I, I definitely believed that I was a Democrat and I believed that all black people were Democrats, but I didn't necessarily believe that all Republicans were like bad people because I, I went to a majority white school and I had met so many like nice white people who were not racist or at least not to my face. And so I definitely had this doubt that they were all bad, but I also had a little bit of paranoia that maybe they secretly were racist. And I think that that paranoia followed me through high school, even though I had never had again a bad or racist experience um, from my peers. Uh, I believed that, yeah, because they were white, they probably had some sort of animosity towards me. And when I got to high school, things got a little bit more I got it was pushed on me a little bit more the idea that I have to agree with the left because I was black and that was because my high school that I went to had uh, affinity groups so I am I don't know anyone who <laughs> doesn't know what an affinity group is there are these like clubs that we had at school where you were split up by race and told that we had to just talk about how terrible and how hard our lives were and how oppressed we were and because we went to, I went to an all white school, there was like four of us in this group. Um, and <laughs> who was it? Who was leading it? A was there um, a black teacher that was leading it or? Yeah, there was. There was, my high school had maybe two or three black teachers and they were all a part of the DEI program in the family okay. groups. Okay. And yeah, we had these meetings like once a month where a group of us, it was maybe, maybe more than four of us, maybe it was like eight of us that would get together. And we were all just supposed to talk about how terrible we felt about being in the school and surrounded by white people, how hard it was for us to succeed because the white people were being racist towards us. And I didn't have this experience. So I actually remember speaking out in one of these meetings and saying, I have friends that are white and they're actually very nice to me. And I, I don't I don't I don't have this experience. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I don't. And I got a lot of pushback for saying that I actually had one of the upperclassmen I was a freshman when I said this a freshman in high school and one of the upperclassmen actually pulled me aside after the affinity group meeting and told me that by saying that I was not oppressed or saying that I had friends that were white I was invalidating the experiences of everybody else and I was not being like unified with my people and I was making affinity groups not a safe space for everyone. So I just needed to be quiet and agree. Um, so you probably, I mean, right now, obviously, I'm thinking about what I would say back to that. You yeah. can apply all of that in the reverse, right? Towards, yeah. <laughs> towards you. Yeah. But you're a freshman. So you probably were just caught on your heels and didn't know what to say. How did you even react? Were you just like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I even said anything to that person. I think I just avoided the DEI department for a while after that. I figured if I yeah if I wasn't gonna lie to people and I, I felt that the fact that they were asking me to lie was bad uh, I didn't want to go into I mean like yeah I didn't want to go into a place that was supposed to be a safe space supposed to be a place where I was allowed to be free to talk about my experiences and then lie about them that seemed like that was opposite of the point um, yeah yeah did anybody even like quietly kind of say it we agree with you or were you totally alone no I was alone um and that doesn't I, I'm I think there were people potentially who did agree with me, but they definitely didn't say anything about it. So I just avoided it for a few years until uh, 2016 okay. when Trump was running for office. And kind of the way that my community, the way that my church and some of my family members talked about, you know, people who didn't vote for Obama, that they were racist. 
the way that they talked about Trump supporters was even worse. You know, it wasn't just that they were racist. I had a family member who believed that Donald Trump, if he was elected president, was going to re-legalize slavery. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and was going to like take away women's right to vote and yep. put women in these like baby birthing handmaid's <laughs> tail like <laughs> yeah. camp. It was it was really crazy. And how old were you when this was going on? I was so when he announced his presidency i was 16 and okay so you still weren't going to be voting but you were old enough to really start understanding and like learning about politics yeah so yeah the actual election i was 17 um and i I definitely wasn't in the into politics in the way that i wasn't like watching any of the debates or anything but i was listening to the way that my family members my teachers um some of my friends and their parents were talking about trump and it made me really scared. It made me really mm-hmm. paranoid that, again, that paranoia that I had that, you know, people secretly yeah. were racist. Um, it became even worse. And as I started seeing people around me, my neighbors, my classmates walking around with like MAGA gear, with mm-hmm. Trump 2024 gear, with even like American flags, like I, you know, the symbol of Trump. I, <laughs> <laughs> I um, was even more like, well, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe these people who are telling me that, you know, all of the white people around me are secretly oppressing me and are secretly racist and are secretly want bad things to happen to me. Maybe that's actually true. Mm-hmm. And so I got more involved in the DEI program at my school in my senior year. Um, okay. I went back to them and I got really, really into like intersectionality and I learned how to do priv- the privilege walks. If you've like, we did those as part of our mm-hmm. DEI. Mm-hmm. If you know what those are, it's like you take a step forward if you're, you know, a man, take a step forward if you're white. Right. To, to measure how much privilege you have. And then you look at where you stand in the line of this, this line of privilege. And then if anyone who's ahead of you is oppressing you, anyone who's behind you, you're oppressing. Uh, and that was kind of just how I shaped my worldview was okay, I see that all the people who are ahead of me have on. MAGA gear because <laughs> they're <laughs> white and they're male and that's why they're voting for Trump is because they have privilege and they want to oppress me and so I have to do what I can to stop them from oppressing me and that was the way that I, I viewed I started to just view everything. Um, did you have any close like some girlfriends who were white and supported Trump did you have anybody kind of close to you that was a Trump supporter? No. No okay. So you never Not had a conversation with someone who you actually liked, who was like, but I'm voting for Trump and here's why. I never had a conversation with anyone who voted for Trump. I was oh, wow. afraid I ran away from them. I, <laughs> okay. I, I, like, I thought that anyone who voted for Trump wanted me enslaved. I wasn't yeah. have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, if you believe that. Okay, cool. So you, you're starting to be molded by this DEI sort of victim mentality um and it's yeah. it's actually it sounds like it's hurting you mentally right you have this paranoia um you're probably you're probably pretty unhappy i'm guessing were you just overall kind of just scared unhappy maybe a touch of depression i don't know what was your meant you've said that you were paranoid but how much was it actually affecting your how much was your mental health affecting your like day-to-day ability to like operate and function Oh, absolutely. Uh, so for the depression, you know, once Trump won, which he won when I was a senior, uh, my senior fall of my high school year, 
I definitely like I just gave up on hope for like the country, mm-hmm. like the idea that most people or I guess you didn't win the popular vote, but that what 49% of the population right. supported this man who wanted to bring back slavery. Mm-hmm. Like that went against this idea that I had that, oh, well, like maybe not all, you know, people who are Republicans are that bad. But since I actually since I believed that, you know, they all supported all of these crazy things I was being told that made me definitely lose faith in just people and in the progress I thought we had made as a country. And it it definitely in my, my social, social interactions also suffered as well. Um, I was, well, I said actively kind of avoiding anyone who I thought supported Trump, which stopped me from making friends with people who I potentially could have. But I also, because of the whole oppression Olympics idea that I had of, you know, there are people that you are being, you are being oppressed by and people who you are oppressing and it's not based on anything that you're doing, but just based on like who and what you are. In pretty much every social situation I was in, I was mentally counting up oppression points and thinking, you know, is this someone who's oppressing me? Is this someone who I'm oppressing? If this is someone who's oppressing me, do I have to be like afraid of the way that they're thinking about me or what they could do to me? And if this is someone who I could accidentally be oppressing, you know, I have to be extra careful with my words and making sure that I don't trigger them and making sure that I don't offend them and making sure that I am not using my privilege to harm them in some way, even if it's completely subconscious or something I'm not even aware of. Did you ever get accused of oppressing someone? Did someone ever call you out in one of these social situations and say that you offended them? Um, Not when I was in high school. I... Not when I was in high school. I was definitely near the bottom of the oppression Olympics um, when I was in high school, just because of All most the of the people, yeah, yeah, were white and uh, fairly wealthy. Um, but there were some people who talked about because I'm kind of re- relatively lighter skinned. There were some people who definitely talked about colorism and how mm-hmm. I had light skinned privilege, yeah. and so that was something that, like, when talking to other people who were black. I was like, oh, me with my fairer skin, am I accidentally like oppressing this person who is one Sephora shade darker than me? And, um, <laughs> one Sephora shade darker. I like that. I'm going to start using that one Sephora shade. That's good. Yeah, that like, even to those little micro details, you know, I I was very aware of these differences. And it, it felt like there was just always a wall between me and the person I was talking to. Like I couldn't really connect with people because mm-hmm. I was so overly careful with what I was saying and what I was doing. And am I accidentally hurting this person? And it was, it was not good for me at all. Okay. So then you're, you're dealing with all of this Trump's Trump's elected and now you're off to college. So talk about what that was like, who you were in college. And then well, we'll see how far that gets us. Because I know that's where, really where your transformation started to happen around the time of the pandemic, if I'm if I'm correct, right? But there's yeah. there's some years in between, so you can talk about what what your college life was like leading up to the pandemic, and then maybe the catalyst for how you got to where you are today. Yes. So I decided to go to school in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, because I thought to myself that Boston is one of the bluest cities and one of the bluest states in the country. And if I go there, one, I will be safe from the Trump supporters and they won't be able to hurt me if I'm surrounded by Democrats. But also 
I will learn more about how I can end whatever's happening in the country if I'm with, because Boston has so many schools and colleges. And so I'll be around a lot of like highly educated Democrats who can teach me more than just you know affinity groups and privilege walks, because we can't do a privilege walk for the entire country. That would not work. Um, but I can maybe learn some other tools to, to be more involved in activism. Um, but I moved to, to Boston and I got really involved in my schools. They did, they had, well, they did have a DEI program. They had a DEI advisory board, mm-hmm. uh, and a DEI department where you, uh, not only did they have say clubs and activities and affinity groups and things, but also they had, um, this board where if you said something that was offensive or did something that was against the ethics of the DEI department, um, you could report someone and then they would face consequences for not uh, following hmm. the the guidelines of the department. So I lo- tried to learn as much as I could about what types of things could get you in trouble with the DEI board. So things like uh, microaggressions and misgendering and um, was gender yeah. ideology uh, uh, becoming a big deal when you were in high school or were you not really super exposed to that until college I was a little bit we def- we talked about respecting pronouns and respecting like sexual orientations and the idea that you shouldn't question people if they like mm-hmm. if someone tells you who and what they are then you should never question it mm-hmm. that was kind of as far as I got in high school. Okay. When I was in college was when I was really taught, like, you need to be familiar with all 700 genders. Like, I did not, I knew that there were three mm-hmm. that I was taught about in, in high school, like, man, woman, non-binary were the ones I was taught about in high school. But mm-hmm. then in college, there was, like, the wall of a million gender flags. <laughs> um, and yeah. I was supposed to be familiar with all of them. And, like, neo-pronouns, I was, um. I was introduced to in college, like Zemzer and like Sparkle Self and all of that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I I met uh, someone who identified as Jupiter gender when I was in college. So that was the wow. first time that I had like met. Yeah. I met so many people who identified as non-binary and other types of non-man and woman gender things when I was in college. Which is crazy uh, because I, I was only yeah. in college, I think we're about let's see, you, you graduated when Trump was elected. So in 2016, so we're about six years apart. And of course, my, my university had wokeism in it had was very LGBTQ friendly. There was some DEI stuff starting, but it wasn't at all to this level. I had never met I had never heard of neo pronouns or anything like that till after I was out of college. So in a very short amount of time, things changed dramatically. For me, it we had a Pride Week at my university, which was mostly just focused on gays and lesbians. None, none of this, nothing else, no other orientations, no other genders. Really, it was all just male and female. There was no they them's even, or non binary wasn't even really a thing at least that was spoken about on Moss and there was a drag show and people wore rainbow flat, you know, stuff for a week. And that was, that was about it. You know, there was a black student union and they did things sometimes, but it was pretty, it was pretty chill compared to what you went, went, went through or were learning about just a few years later. That's what blows my mind how fast this happens. So 
But anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Okay, you're learning about gender ideology stuff. You're getting involved in the DEI board standards, I guess, or learning more about them. Yeah. And this was kind of the first time we were talking about earlier when you said, you know, was I ever accused of oppressing someone? Well, the first time that I ever learned really that I could oppress someone besides like the one Sephora shade difference was when I started getting introduced to the gender stuff. Uh, Mm. Because I, as a cisgender woman, was Mm. oppressing everybody who used all these different pronouns. Um, But then I also had people who told me that I actually was not a cisgender woman, that I was actually some form of non-binary and should have been using other pronouns. Um, And why did they tell that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, a few reasons, but mostly because I I was uh, a tomboy and I was really into, I was not really into, you know, feminine Mm -hmm. things. At, At the time, I was really into like Star Wars and Marvel and I still am into that stuff, but I also dressed more <laughs> masculinely. Like I wore a lot of like t-shirts and jeans and my hair was shorter. Yeah. And um, a lot of people said, well, you know, your gender expression is very interesting. The way that you, you know, you also have this more assertiveness to yourself. Like maybe you're not actually a woman. Maybe Which you should so look Which is so insulting. Into- like women can't be assertive. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, I-, I was. I was told once that I had too much like leadership uh too many leadership qualities to <laughs> be a woman wow um, wow yeah um and so yeah and i think because i was taught that i if someone who is le- more oppressed than you like tells you something you have to believe it that's how this mm-hmm. whole thing works so when people told me well actually like you're non-binary and if you don't identify as non-binary then you're invalidating my identity as non-binary so you have to identify as non-binary or else I can't be non-binary because you and I are like similar in this way or this way. Oh my gosh Um, I didn't I haven't heard that part of your story that so it wasn't even necessarily your idea that you were non well I guess it's probably nobody's idea truly that they're non-binary but you know what I'm saying someone else was almost like pressuring you even though you were an ally already, it wasn't like you were, you were very friendly to all these, I, this ideology. And then you were sort of told you have to be non-binary or else you're hurting me. It wasn't even like you're hurting yourself. I hear that argument all the time, right? You got to be your true self. You're hurting yourself, you know, be true to you are, but you were told you don't identify this way. You're hurting me. It was a bit of both. It definitely was a, you know, this is, this is who you are, but it was a, this, I know this is who you are because this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and then a little bit of like, well, yeah, if you don't believe, so if you don't believe that I'm non-binary or you, if you don't believe that you're non-binary, then you don't also believe that I'm non-binary. So yeah. So then I started identifying as non-binary. What and, did that mean? Did you just, did you put that on your social media? You know, how did you come out as non-binary? I did not come out publicly in like, in that sense. I was not, I wasn't on social media first, okay. um, but I, I came out to my friends who I was involved with, with like DEI stuff. And I was involved with some of my clubs, but honestly, I didn't know what it meant either. And <laughs> you, so, <laughs> um, you didn't start I, wearing the pins or anything like that? No, no I didn't change okay. my pronouns either. I was just, I was a she, her feminine, non-binary person, which okay. means nothing. It, <laughs> yeah. It's a bunch of gobbledygook words. It's, yeah. I was, yeah. yeah. She, her, AFAB, non-binary identified human being. 
actually want to um, make a note of something you said. You said that you weren't on social media and you yeah. still got wrapped up in this stuff because yeah. social media, a lot of people, including myself, put a lot of the blame on social media, people getting caught up on online in online communities and stuff. But it's actually pretty important to note that you got wrapped up in it without any social media. Like this stuff yeah, can get I've you where you're at. <laughs> everything that I was taught from the race stuff to the gender stuff to ideas about like I don't know po any po political thing Trump all of that was in person mm -hmm. I, I was not on any social media at all so yeah. wow I mean that's kind of scary because <laughs> yeah. a lot of us who are parents especially me I have little kids and you're thinking I'll just keep them offline and they'll be yeah. fine but that's not that's not always the case. I mean, I think it's helpful for kids to not be, and adults, honestly, for all of us, all of us should spend less time online, uh, me included. But yeah, important to note that you, if you are a parent, you have a parenting lens like I do, that you keep your eyes open because just because you take the computer away doesn't mean that this stuff can't seep into your child's life or other people you love's lives. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of part of it was, you know, school. School was for me being at two schools well more than two schools but my high school specifically and my college that had these insane DEI programs I think that without those two things my life would have been super different so you know if you can't you can't keep your kids off social media but you can choose where they go to high school to some yeah. degree you know so and you can advise them not to go to colleges that have crazy DEI programs as well. Right. So I think right. that's a part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you're non-binary. You're ad yes. identifying, but you're kind of confused. You don't really know what it means, but you're marching no. along and you're waving your flag. What happens no. next? I got really sick. Uh, so the end of my freshman fall. My, this was uh, not a yeah, COVID I'm, thing, right? This was a different. This was not a COVID thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Different sickness. So this was the end of beginning of 2018. Okay. Beginning of 2018, I got extremely sick. I ended up in the hospital. And I had to... I was in the hospital for a long time. Uh, I have an autoimmune disorder. And okay. I was paralyzed on half of my body. Ooh. Yeah. Scary. Um, so I, I flew home from Boston to Dallas. And I ended up in the hospital there for a while. And my parents stayed with me for a bit at the beginning because... Obviously, they were very scared that the doctors didn't of really course. know what was going on with me, and they were trying to diagnose me and put me through treatment. But once they figured out what my autoimmune disorder was and how to treat it, they had to go back to work and and do things that you right. know for their life. So I was in the hospital by myself, and I was 18 years old, the youngest person in the adult ward of the hospital. And I realized that I'm going to need someone to take care of me, to do everything for me, because I cannot move half of my body. And that person should be female because I knew, you know, in just logically that having a male nurse who was taking care of me 24-7 put me in a dangerous situation as mm -hmm. a young girl in the hospital because that's how people get taken advantage of. But at the same time, because I, of all things I was taught about how, like, you don't acknowledge people's biological sex and like sex is a spectrum mm -hmm. and you always validate people when they tell you who they are. I didn't know how to, I, I couldn't comprehend the difference between male and female. Like I knew that I needed a female nurse, but also what is a, like, what is a woman? What is a female? How can I define this term in a way that both 
you know, respects the biological reality that I intrinsically know is real, but also isn't going to offend other people and isn't going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. And I really struggled with just trying to figure out why my brain was having such a hard time comprehending this very, this thing that should have been so simple. Right. And I was, a, I, I was weighing these two, these two options of do I potentially hurt someone by misgendering them or offending them to the point where I thought that if I, if I offended someone and told them, you know, oh, no, I actually want like a female or a woman who's a nurse, they could go and like end their life, right? That's what you're told with a lot yeah. of this stuff is if you misgender someone, they're going to go and end their life. So that was my fear was like I could kill someone. Or I can put myself in danger and potentially be taken advantage of and be put into the situation. And in that moment, I decided, I did decide to ask for a female nurse. And thank God I was in Texas, where they knew what I was talking about. (laughs) I was in Boston, I might have been a different situation. But I did end up with a female nurse. Like, everything was fine. But I felt awful. Like, I after I went through this like kind of mental battle of what do I do and I decided to ask for a female nurse, I felt like I had just, I just betrayed my entire ethical framework of like my life that you cannot Mm -hmm. offend people and you cannot recognize these things or else you could potentially hurt someone. And I thought I was a terrible person and I became like kind of depressed in thinking that I was, there was something wrong with me and I was a right wing, right wing Trump loving extremist who wanted to hurt oh trans people and that was kind well, of what you should started... be focused on just getting better like on yeah, just healing exactly. and just worrying about your own physical well-being you're stressed about all this other nonsense that's crazy yeah but that was what started me thinking okay there is like no ideology or no philosophy that i'm holding should be putting myself in danger like these two things should not be in conflict with each other that either I like am hurting myself or I'm hurting somebody else. So something's wrong here. And I don't know exactly what's wrong, but something's definitely wrong. So that was what started me in thinking really deeply about just a lot of the things that I believed in. And, you know, where am I getting this from? How do I know this is true? Have I just been listening to people who have been lying to me or, you know, misinforming me for years? Or is there some logic here that I'm missing that's going to make all of this make sense? Yeah. And so I, how long? How long were you? So so you? I guess you missed a semester. Was your school on semester? So you missed a sem- at least a semester of school. I missed one semester and then went back to school in fall of 2018. And back in person. Back in person. Yes. Okay. All right. So your the wheels are starting to turn a little bit because of your experience in the hospital, and then you head back to school. Did you jump right back into all the old? clubs and social groups that you were in before or did you take a different tact I did go back to my clubs and social groups um, that I was in before but I had questions so I started to be a little bit more they asking a little bit more questions and poking around uh, people did not respond to that well I had a lot of people who were really upset um, people some people who called me names I was especially specifically around the gender issue uh, I was called like a turf and a transphobe. I was told I was listening to Fox News conspiracy theories. And I had some people who just completely stopped talking to me. And I had some people who seemed, who kept talking to me, but seemed very like skittish and afraid that I was asking questions. Like, 
how, wh- why are you asking this? We're not, we're not really supposed to, supposed to, um, um, don't, don't talk about this anymore. Bye. And like ran away. Oh. Um, that was very strange. You know, that's not how people are supposed to respond when you ask very simple questions that I think people should be able to understand. Like, you know, is sex binary? And like, is there a yeah. biological difference between men and women? But yeah, it didn't go over well. And I, I started to feel like I was going crazy because at that point, I didn't know anyone who who had ever questioned these things. And so what I was stuck with was, you know, is there something wrong with me in which I'm not understanding this? Or yeah, there's something wrong with everybody else around me and all of my professors and all of my mentors and all of my peers who all are saying, oh, this, this all makes sense. And this, this is all true. And at, I was what, 19 at this point, I figured there was no way that me at 19 knew more about biology than these like PhD biology professors, you know, who are at Harvard and at MIT and at all of these big schools in Boston who are saying that, that, you know, non-binary is real and sex is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went back into trying to hop right back into what I believed before. But then so I became, you still didn't yeah. you still didn't have any friends or anybody close to you who had an, a differing viewpoint. Nobody no. was like, hey, this is a bunch of nonsense. Come over here and let me talk to you. Nobody. Older no. older, no younger, nobody. Okay. Nobody. And you ha- and you didn't you still weren't online or anything. So you still didn't weren't really exposed to talking heads, intellectuals that weren't aligned either. So no. you truly thought this was the worldview that ninety percent of people have well i guess maybe not 90 because 49 percent of the population voted for trump but those people were nazis so it was either, right. you know so, okay. 50% everybody of nazis. in college everybody in a university at least in a blue state believes yeah. this okay yeah okay i pretty much thought there were two options it was either this or nazi mm-hmm. i didn't want to okay. be a nazi so okay alternative was this um okay and yeah. Um, so I hopped back into things because I thought, yeah, my two options were this or Nazi. I'd rather be this. Right. But then that made me super, super depressed, like extremely, extremely unhappy with my life because I was having to fight against my own brain. Like my brain is seeing things and my brain knows that what I believe is wrong, but I'm having to pretend that it's not and that was really hard like fighting what you're seeing now like once the cat was out of the bag I could not put it back in Mm -hmm. and so up until 2020 I just was like I need to put my head down and pretend until until graduation in 2021 Uh, that was my thought process up until the pandemic so you're like I'm just gonna go along to get along this doesn't make sense to me I'm unhappy but it's my reality then I just have to deal with it. Okay. Yeah. So then the then the pandemic happens. And what what does that spark in you? What does that change in you? Yeah. The pandemic happens and I go home. And I'm everybody went home. Everybody went home. Yep. All of Boston was shut down. All the schools were closed. So I went home. And two things happened. One kind of like being in the hospital, honestly, I I was given a lot just this time to think about things, um, which away from everybody else and without 
the the social pressures that came from being surrounded by people who all believe the same thing. But also, I talked to my brother. My brother had been to Boston, and we were having a conversation about something completely unrelated to culture war, politics stuff. Like we were talking about anime or something, and out of nowhere, he kind of just goes, "People in Boston are crazy. Like they don't know what a man and a woman are." (laughs) (laughs) This is an older brother or younger brother? Younger brother. My younger brother. So this was the first time I had heard someone say that. Mm-hmm. say that you know those people they, they're people and they believe this thing and they're crazy mm-hmm. and so I kind of went okay if if he sees it then I'm not like hallucinating things like I'm not crazy right yeah I mean there's a chance that we're both crazy but I know that he's not a Nazi <laughs> like he's right. not he's never listened to Fox News in his life mm-hmm. he's very apolitical he does not care about culture war stuff but if he sees this and he's saying this makes no sense, then maybe there's something here. Like maybe I'm not completely insane for doubting what I've been taught. Okay. Yeah. And that was the first step to really thinking through just a lot of other issues. And and did you, did you pry it all with him? Did you guys end up having a conversation or did he just kind of drop that, that comment and it just, he didn't even probably think much of it. He just said it and went about his day and you were like, wow, that really, that's really got me thinking the gears are turning and then, or, or what, what was that like? Did you continue to engage with him on that? Or were you just then kind of on your own, not on your own, but you kind of went off with that, with that little bomb that he dropped on you and just let it permeate. We talked a little bit, uh, like I said, Oh yeah, there's a girl that I go to school with who identifies as Jupiter. And he just was like, Oh, that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so obvious, like, so just saying the obvious out loud, like, like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm supposed there are people at my school who change their pronouns every two weeks to match how they're feeling on the inside. And he's like, that's ridiculous. And just having that being freely able to say like, that's, that's dumb. This is dumb. We both know this is dumb. Okay, cool. Like, yeah, that, that was really helpful for me to feel less like, yeah, I'm the only one who believes this. Well, no, I'm not the only one who believes this. I'm not the only one who sees this. Were you still identifying as non-binary at this time? Um, not really. I think that I hadn't told people that, like, that I had unidentified as non-binary, but I didn't, within myself, believe that I identified as non-binary because mm-hmm. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know what it meant, and I realized I didn't know what it meant. So things are starting to change, but I think I think I've heard you say or tell me or tweet or somewhere I read this that. It was really the the government's reaction. So it's almost like there's three kind of topics. There's there's the racial component with the the privilege and the intersectionality, then the gender ideology stuff that you were introduced to a little bit later, but then that almost that started to crack in front of you, I think, before the racial stuff, right? There's the gender ideology where you were doubting that before any race-related ideology. And then the pandemic comes and the government reacts how they react. And I think that was maybe a third layer to your, I don't know, getting red-pilled or however you want to talk, you know, describe it. So what were you seeing? Correct me if I'm wrong on any of that, but what about the government's response to the pandemic made you start to rethink other things, including doubting, I think, 
what people who are supposed to be authorities have to say about any topic, right? Yeah. You can take it from there. Yeah, yeah. COVID, you're 100% correct. COVID was, COVID broke, I think, everything that I believed about politics and the culture wars. And it started with, I, Boston had the first cases on the East Coast for COVID. And what happened was the experts, the doctors that were in the area had this conference. And this conference was around the corner from my dorm. They were meeting to talk about, they they were, this was before there were cases in Boston, but there were cases in California. And these doctors came together to talk about what they were going to do about COVID and prevent it from spreading throughout the, the U.S. This conference happened. All the doctors went home. And suddenly all these cases were popping up in Boston. And what we found out at my school was that the cases that popped up in Boston were because these doctors flew in from other places around the world. And even though this conference had social distancing um, and they took people's temperatures before they went in to Mm -hmm. the uh, building, it still spread. And so at the time, what they were saying was that if you didn't have symptoms, you couldn't get COVID. If you didn't have a cough, you didn't have a fever, you couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. But then this conference happened and it was very obvious that you could still get it mm-hmm. if you didn't have symptoms. Mm-hmm. But You mean like you could still have it? Yeah, have it and spread it. Okay. So like you don't have to cough on someone to give it to them. You could get it through right. like without coughing, without a fever. You could still have it and spread it. And but this was not being communicated to the public, even though I knew it and everybody who went to my school knew it and all of the professors knew it. Mm-hmm. The media was not talking about it and the, the pe- government wasn't talking about it. Um, and you knew it because there was some kind of newsletter that went out about it or how, how were you informed? Yeah, we found out that some of the people that I went to school with had gotten it. So the so some of the professors that went to my school were at this conference and they had gotten it and they sent a thing out saying that although they had these precautions set up, people were right. still getting it. Okay. Uh, so, so we knew that this was not the way that it was spread, but this was not how it was being reported to the public. So I have an autoimmune disorder. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, we need to be very transparent with people about how this is spread, how you can get it. So people could take the precautions that they need to, to take care of their health. I, I wear masks all the time. Uh, because of my autoimmune disorder, like I'm, I take care of myself, and that's something that I, I think is important for me to do when I'm around people who are sick. But there are a lot of people right now who are unaware of how this is spread, and if they wanted to wear masks or do something else, they can't because they mm-hmm. don't understand how this is being spread. But this wasn't communicated. Instead, what they did was they they imposed a mask mandate on the entire city, mm-hmm. even if you were outside. Yeah. And didn't tell people how it was spread. <laughs> yeah. So people couldn't take their own health like into their own hands mm-hmm. because this communication on exactly what was going on and how to keep yourself safe was not being told to people. Yeah. Instead, it was just about the government making the decision for everyone. Right. Even if it meant like lying to them about what was actually going on. Mm-hmm. And as I saw these 
the way that, and obviously the policies and the way that things were communicated changed over time, where then they were saying, oh, yes, you can get it without, without a cough, but you can't get it if you have this. And everything was wrong. Like everything that they were reporting about this was just going so against everything that I was seeing with my own eyes and everything that was just true about this, this virus, very obviously for people who saw it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, like they were saying, like the fact that you could catch the, that they wanted you or that not wanted you, that they thought that you could catch it outside and wanted you to wear a mask, at least in Boston, even if there was no one around. Right. That's ridiculous. That makes absolutely no sense. Right. But it was more about this having control and doing things for what the government saw was as the greater good versus any sort of logic in making policy or logic in communicating things to the public. And that was when I realized that this idea that I had that the the Democrats or the government in general is where I should be getting my information from, is where I should be getting my morality from, mm-hmm. makes no sense. If they're yeah. not being transparent with people and they're being illogical with how they're doing things, why should I trust them on any of these issues, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's whether I should wear a mask or not? Because for them, it's more about power and control than it is about what's best for me. Right. So at that point, then did you throw everything out the window? Was it like you did a 180? How long did that take? You know, once you were really coming to these realizations about these people don't actually care about my well-being. It's about power, just like you said. Uh, when it came to the pandemic, then then really everything I know about race is a lie. Everything I know about this gender ideology is a lie. And it's kind of like you became a new person or was there still kind of a slow march to getting where you're at today? It was it was still a slow march, but I was much, much more skeptical. So mm-hmm. like when BLM riots started happening at the end of the summer of 2020, I was much, much more skeptical of what was coming out of the government, what was coming out of the news, and what was coming out of the quote unquote experts, because I knew that they were hiding information from people about COVID. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, what other information are they hiding? Right. They're covering this, you know, these these riots and things, and they're saying this is for the greater good. But what, you know, that's never a good when they say, oh, this is for the greater good. Okay, what are you hiding? (laughs) Yeah, greater good, red flag. Yeah, that's a red flag. And so the more that I looked into things, the more that I realized that they were not being honest about, you know, the rates of police shootings. They were not being honest about the details of uh, George Floyd's death. They were not being honest about the severity of the riots and this isn't to say that i think that i i i think that people need to be armed with information so that they can make their own conclusions and mm-hmm. i think that if if people have all the information and they come to a different conclusion for me that is one thing but when information is being withheld from you and you're not being given the full story that's when i get very angry and right. the fact that people were just being misled when it came to the information they're being given with covid with the BLM rights and with a lot of this gender stuff as well, I started learning more about how kids are being put on puberty blockers and how, you know, those puberty blockers are causing this irreversible issues with their bodies. And this is something that the news won't cover or most of the news won't cover. And a lot of politicians are saying that it's a right wing conspiracy theory that, you know, puberty blockers cause harm to kids. It, it's like, I, 
I don't know how you can say that you're doing something for the greater good by lying to the greater good or lying to the the greater um, number of people in the country. So I, yeah, I, I just started to really doubt everything. And that was kind of my turning point for not trusting the government, not trusting the Democrats and being very done with politicians in general. Mm hmm. So what, how did you, you, you don't need to tell us who you voted for or anything like that, but how did you approach that, that next election, the 2020 election? I did not vote in 2020. Uh, and that was because I didn't know who to trust or mm. who to vote for. I knew that I did not agree with pretty much anything that Biden had done or Biden was talking about when it came to, I mean, Trump also supported lockdowns to some yeah. degree, Yeah, uh, but I, I didn't agree with the way that the Democrats had handled COVID. I didn't agree with the way that they supported the BLM riots. And I didn't agree with their views on the gender issue. Uh, but I didn't know anything about Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't, I hadn't, again, I hadn't watched any of his speeches when he ran in 2016. I had pretty much tried to avoid discussing him with anyone for years. And I was doubting what I heard about him. Mm -hmm. You know, I was mm -hmm. starting to doubt whether he was actually this terrible person that people were saying that he was, but I didn't know anything about him. So I just didn't vote. You didn't vote for president or you didn't vote down ballot either? I didn't vote at all for anything in 2020. So what did you think when these four years had passed and you weren't a slave and you weren't <laughs> in a, you know, in a baby making factory where you're, you know, forced to get pregnant? What, what did you reflect on in, in terms of those things that people supposedly were warning you about if Trump was elected? Yeah, they were obviously wrong. <laughs> but what were, did you did that did that really land with you, or just like, well, they were wrong. They were kind of mistake, you know. They were mistaken, but it's, you know, to me, I've I've never really had kind of a, um, I'll say like a red pill moment. I've sort of been the way that I am <laughs> politically, ideologically, my entire life. I became a Christian later in life, but pretty much I've been. I've had the same political views for the most part uh, since I was pretty young. And that's just I, the way I was raised. And I don't know why, but maybe that means I'm a bad person because I'm not evolving a ton <laughs> on my views. But I didn't, in 2016, I had major reservations about Trump and I hated Hillary Clinton as well. I didn't vote for either of them. I voted for Gary Johnson instead. Uh, I went the libertarian route. And but I had people telling me the same thing that they told you that I would lose my right to vote as a woman, that slavery, that we we were going to go back a thousand years. You know, that was the line that people kept saying. And I didn't believe them. But there was a small part of me that kind of believed them. You know what I mean? I didn't believe them. I voted for Gary Johnson. I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I didn't think he was that if I truly thought Trump was going to enslave me, if he was elected, I would have voted for Hillary Clinton. But yeah. There's still like a, a was a piece in me that what if I'm I am wrong, you know, and they really are are correct. And then I just kind of got angry at myself for even believing for a second that that could happen after four years went by and none of what they said was true. So I was just kind of wondering if that had any kind of effect on you at all. And you were told these things that didn't even come close to being reality at, to where I I almost felt. I was a fool when it came to Trump because I did, I always considered myself this person that I think for myself and all this, but I sort of, even, even I kind of bought into some of the, 
the fears and lies about Trump in 2016, at least. Yeah, I I think that there were at that point at the end of 2020, I realized there were I was wrong about everything. I was wrong about everything. Like, I was I was I was wrong about everything that I believed in. So I think that Trump definitely got clumped into there. You know, like I was mm-hmm. wrong in believing that sex was a spectrum. I was wrong in believing that kids should be put on puberty blockers. I was wrong in believing that white people were evil and that police were trying to shoot me every time I left the house. Like there were so many things I was wrong about. Um, yeah, definitely. But Trump as well. Um, did you ever but talk? Just, but did you ever approach anybody who warned you about all these things? Even your family members. You told me that I was going to lose my right <laughs> to vote or whatever, and that's not what happened. Did you have any of those conversations? No, not specifically about Trump. Uh, about some of the other stuff a little bit, but uh, not not specifically Trump. And I mean, once once Biden won in in twenty twenty, I it was kind of I didn't feel like it was worth really worrying about that at least for yeah. four years because he it wasn't like he could run uh, again for four more years. I was more, more thinking about those other cultural issues that were, especially once Biden became president and it was like, Oh, well now puberty blockers for kids, you know, can become legalized. platform. Yeah. Yeah. Now they can overturn title nine and replace it with gender identity and like all of these other issues that was more on the forefront of my brain than than Trump. Uh, And starting fights about Trump who wasn't even president anymore. Uh, so when did you kind of, when did you first start writing, becoming a a public voice, you know, blending your voice to the public square? Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually not sure. I I know a bit about, about your backstory, but I don't know. You created a sub stack and wrote something. You gave a speech somewhere. You just created a Twitter account and started putting your thoughts up there. What was the first step? So, yeah. So from 2020 to 2022, I was still under like lockdowns in Boston, pretty much. I, I lived in an apartment pretty much by myself. And I I had roommates, but I didn't really talk to them much. So I was pretty much by myself. And I just thought through everything that I believed in and tried to come to conclusions about what I thought was right and wrong and what I believed was true about the world. And then in May of 2022, I created my Twitter. So it's been a little over a year. Okay. Uh, but I created my Twitter because I wanted to hear what other people were thinking about things. And I was finally open to listening to, like, actually listening to and the right and hearing more about what they have to say about things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I started my Twitter in May of 2022. I created my Substack in June, I believe. Okay. So shortly after July. that. They were kind shortly of- after, Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I started writing there and, and tweeting. And her stack is d- data over dogma. Or do you say data? Are you a data person or a data person? I'm a data person. <laughs> <laughs> data over dogma. <laughs> yep. And then Free Black Thought found me. Uh, my first viral tweet. They reached out and the rest is history. I started gaining followers and writing more and here I am today. <laughs> when did you get you? Because you have a TikTok too, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. I also have a TikTok. So, yeah, I'm at Growing to Truth. Uh, on Twitter and TikTok. And I started making TikToks last year very sparsely. And then I've started doing it more regularly this year. And I have some followers there as well. And you kind of, I I feel that maybe you're more known for the 
the gender ideology critiques. Is that correct? Is that kind of your your focus point at this or what people know you for at this point? Uh, it was. I, I think it it's shifted more towards race things recent more recently. Um, it at the beginning of my social media kind of career, I guess, I was definitely talked a lot about the gender issues. I find that now there is less for me to add to the conversation. Um, yeah. I feel like I've said everything I need to say and I, I want to get back into it, but I need to, I think, approach it a little bit differently because I don't want to be saying the same thing that everybody else is saying. Like mm-hmm. I want to say what, what I feel and about the issues, but if I'm if everybody's saying the same thing, then I don't feel like I'm contributing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I have a different perspective when it comes to some of the racial issues than yeah. people on the internet. So that's what I've been focusing on more because I think that is more impactful. Right, right. And yeah, there, there's, I feel the winds are changing on the gender. I, yeah. I think actually people who think like us were, were winning or we're starting to win. Uh, so I totally get what you're saying where you're kind of like, well, a, there's a lot of people in this space saying the same stuff that I would say, or I've already said what I need to say. So totally get that. Before we dive into some of the racial stuff, though, I keep saying, or I've said a couple of times through this interview, how did you get to, and how did that end you to where you are at today? Where are you at today? Mm -hmm. So tell me, where are you at today? What's your kind of, what is your worldview? What is, how do you identify politically, theologically, ideologically, and what do you do now? Because you have a pretty interesting job. Yes. um, So I, politically, I am, I'm politically homeless. I don't really have a party that I identify with, but I am definitely small government capitalist, uh, big, you know, individual rights supporter. Um, Mm -hmm. I consider myself an individualist. I hate the idea of, you know, tribalism in this collective hive mind uh, that I I escaped from. I don't want people to fall into that. I think people should think for themselves and to collect as much information, come to their own conclusions about things. Um, And as far as what I do for work, so I currently work Uh, at Objective Standard Institute. I am a fellow of rational philosophy. So I do research and I write and I do my social media stuff, I guess, is somewhat related to them. Um, Mm -hmm. But mostly researching and writing and thinking about really reflecting on my journey and my experiences and trying to figure out how to prevent other people or help other people not fall into the same mental traps that I fell into of yeah, just this very irrational collectivist idea of follow what everybody else is saying because, you know, the the morality of the tribe is greater than the, you know, critical thinking of the individual. And yeah, that's 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 what I do for work. So what and was your what was degree? Your uh, <laughs> I think you answered it. What was your degree okay. in? My degree. Oh yes, I graduated with a degree in data science. So. so- People might think, oh, she's a philosophy major or political science major or something like that, and you're not. (laughs) So I think that's important to note, too. Uh, You know, don't get put in a box, folks. Like, your career can go wherever you want your career to go. Uh, And then when you write for the Institute, where where are those writings? Are you writing academic papers? They have a magazine. Where's that stuff going? Yes. So there is a journal that I have not been published in yet because I'm still working on writing um i it's called the the objective standard i am i've not been published there yet but i have done a few speaking um engagements through them um i mm-hmm. spoke at our conference 
a level up a few weeks ago, and I also spoke at Freedom Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, I so, think I saw that, yep. Yes. So, um, so yes, that is... Do you tend to be the youngest person in the room at these kinds of things? Are you, are you reaching a lot of people um, your age and younger? Uh, am I the youngest person? So my, my company is very young. Uh, I'm not the youngest person who works at my company, but at, say, Freedom Fest, yes, me and the, my two coworkers, we were the youngest people by multiple decades, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely hard uh, to reach young people on tic- even on TikTok. My my young or my my largest demographic is 25 to 34, I believe, or mm. 25 to 30 something, which is young as in it's under 30 but it's old for tiktok um yeah so i i I wish i was reaching more young people uh but it's really hard to especially through social media to break through the algorithms of you know what they're being exposed to yeah yeah and i've i've heard and i haven't looked into these stats yet myself but i'm very curious to see if well i'm I'm assuming there's truth to it because i've seen it cited quite a few times that actually gen z men boys men and boys are are leaving the left that there is there they are starting to see gen z political affiliation start to shift um that doesn't mean that they're becoming republicans or anything like that uh, i'm just i'm i'm hearing that there was an idea actually back when i was younger even maybe a little bit younger than you that that the millennials were going to be become a very conservative generation and i don't think that that's or libertarian liberty minded i should say not conservative um liberty minded generation i don't think that's totally played out but now people are sort of starting to shift that maybe millennials weren't far enough removed from some of this because if you're a millennial your parents still probably like there's a chance that your parents lived through experienced firsthand the jim crow south or uh and and some truly systemic racism right but gen zers now are far enough removed to where even their parents don't have a lot of firsthand experience with the systemic racism that has existed in the united states so particularly when it comes to the race stuff it's harder to convince them once they start thinking about it once their brains finishing develop you know they hit 25 or whatever and they start thinking about things for themselves they're like, I don't, I don't get the suppression stuff. Like I, I played baseball with five black dudes and two Puerto Ricans and an Asian guy. And we all, nobody was oppressing each other. Their parents weren't oppressing each other, you know? So I'm wondering yeah. if maybe we're going to see if, if that's the start of something or if that's, this is just a little blip and we won't see a shift in Gen Z. So anyways, I was just wondering if what your thoughts were as, I know you're kind of, you're the, one of the older Gen Zers. Uh, so maybe you don't have your finger on the pulse as much, but I'm always super curious about generationally how politics ebb and flow. Do you have any thought, anything to add to that thought stream I just put out there? <laughs> yeah, I I hear that there are Gen Zers leaving. I haven't seen that, but mm-hmm. I've heard through the grapevine that Gen Zers are leaving. But what I the generation I'm really excited for is the next generation, the Generation Alpha, because I've heard that they think this is all ridiculous. Really? Um, okay. The 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 youngin youngins that they mm-hmm. think that like the pronoun rituals and the land acknowledgments and all of that is absolutely insane, um, mm-hmm. and they want nothing to do with it. 
Yeah. So hopefully, like when, because none of them are in college yet. So hopefully, when right. they go through college, they don't get indoctrinated into it. But if they're seeing this in, because they see it in school in a way that I didn't, or at least I didn't when I was young. Like I, I wasn't taught about pronouns in like kindergarten the way that right. they are being taught. But you know, if if they're already being exposed to it and they're rejecting it, then maybe it, they won't be caught up in it when they're older. But yeah, I, yeah. And it, it it really depends on what generation raises you, right? So yeah. my millennial friends, all of us have very strong feelings about giving our children phones. Mm-hmm. No, Nobody I know my age, who's now we're, you know, somebody my age who got started really young having kids might have a 10-year-old at the oldest. And that's somebody who started young, right? So most of my friends, most of my peers, we have littles, little kids may not even be in elementary school yet. And we are all like no phones because we are the first generation to get smartphones. And so we fully understand how bad they are. Whereas Gen X didn't grow up with that. And so the kids that they're raising, which is Gen Z, right? Our Gen Z parents tend to be Gen X, right? Typically. Yes. So they just didn't know. They weren't in it like we were in it. And I think the same Mm -hmm. is going to apply to some of the gender stuff and the racial stuff and all that kind of good thing. Because if you're kind of indoctrinated as you grow up and you see it affecting things, you're going to approach it differently. It's not a new idea for us. Whereas a, a boomer or a Gen Xer suddenly getting hit with this gender ideology that they've never heard of, it's almost like, well, this is a new idea. This is new to me. I never heard of it. But if you're telling me it's good for my kids, okay. Whereas millennials and Gen Zers who are starting to have kids too, we're going to have a completely different perspective and we're going to be like, no, no, no. We've we've known about this ideology for a long time. Yeah. I have some questions. I have some things. So anyways, that's sort of a, a tangent. I know you don't have kids, but I just can't help going there because that's always what I'm thinking about. So let's get back to the to the racial element. That's kind of more of your bread and butter right now. And one thing that I've seen you comment on, tweet about a few times, I know it's a pet peeve of yours, is that everybody calls each other a slave. You know, you don't agree with me, you're a slave. Everybody does it, right? In different ways. A lot of the times people on the right will say to Black people, get off the plantation if they're not adopting a more classical liberal point of view. People on the left will, you know, call you house nigger or something like that and assume that you just want to please the white man if you don't agree with their point of view. Everybody's kind of pointing fingers at each other. And then there was a, I want to, I actually have the tweet here because I want to make sure I read it correctly and don't misquote anybody. Uh, There's a viral tweet that went out from the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, which is, I consider them kind of a shitpost account. Like, (laughs) I know they're a Czech, like Libertarian Party affiliate or whatever, but whoever runs this account, I know those are just two bros who are just like, oh, and just put stuff out there to cause a storm and they're very good at it. Anyways, Nina Turner, who is woke leftist, uh, she she tweeted out, insulin should be free, medicine should be free. And the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire retweeted that and said, Nina Turner picking crops should be free. And this set off a firestorm on the left and right. Most people, I would say the majority of people saying the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire is totally, this is a totally racist response, a racist, um, a racist tweet on the Libertarian parties. And again, people, this is not the Libertarian Party of like all of America. It's just for one state, New Hampshire. So I don't want to lump all Libertarian accounts into this. But 
what are your thoughts on that? What do you what are you thinking? I know you've tweeted about it. I know it's it's just a really hot button issue issue right now. Everyone's debating it. What do you think? I think most people are hypocrites on this, and it bothers me so much. I get I when you look like me and you say the things that I say, you get a lot of backlash from, especially from the left. And this is something I've dealt with since I've been public. You know, I've gotten all of the, you know, house slave, Uncle Tom, tap dancing for the white man, coon, all of that stuff from the left. And I see a lot of people who are conservative or libertarian or people who just don't like the left and they'll come out and say, oh my gosh, the left is so racist. I'm so happy that you're not part of them anymore and you're with us and we're so colorblind and we we support you as an individual. And then the next day I'll see something like this and, you know, I'll see the libertarians or conservatives calling the person, uh, telling the person that they're on the plantation or something. And when I call them out and I say, hey, this is the exact same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. this is you telling a a black person that you disagree with that they're a slave. And they're like, no, when I do it, it's fine. Like, no, it's different (laughs) when I do it. (laughs) Yeah. That was the tweet that I posted after the New Hampshire um, tweet came out was like, can we please stop calling black people slaves? You know what? You hate it. Yeah. You hate it when when Clarence Thomas gets called an Uncle Tom. Mm -hmm. But are are you okay with this? And you're like, oh, no, no. But. The difference is that Clarence Thomas actually isn't an Uncle Tom, and the black black the Democratic plantation is real, so it's not mm-hmm. the same thing at all. It's like mm-hmm. no, no, no. <laughs> what if somebody says it in terms of they're saying, and they could you could say this of a person of any ethnic background that they have yeah. that you have a like a slave mentality. You know, you have a mentality that you are kind of helpless. I guess is what some people might say. Or do you think that just doesn't exist because nobody applies it to anybody, at least publicly on social media, except to other black people? I have never seen anyone say that to a white person before. I I have seen it in a general, like a general sense of people saying, you know, slavery has not ended in America because we still have, I don't know, taxation or something. It's like a big libertarian right. uh, argument. Like slavery was never ended because taxation exists. But People don't go onto individual white people's accounts and say, you're picking cotton for the white man. Like, that's not something that people <laughs> do. Uh-huh. And so when they come back and they say, oh, this is not a race-based thing at all. It's like, no, it definitely is. You would not go up to a white person and say the same thing. And I, I highly, highly doubt that the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire would have said, specifically the picking crops thing, if this was like an Asian person. Mm-hmm. They would not have said, oh, yeah, Asian people picking crops is, I do okay. think that it has to do with race. And do you think that they, but the Libertarian Party does call out people of all different shades when they say stuff like insulin should be free. Um, yes. Maybe they use, maybe if it was a Chinese person, they would say, you know, you working the railroad should be free or something like that, you know, referring to a time when. Chinese immigrants were one hop, skip, and a jump away from from slavery. Is all of that? You just think any any reference to any sort of tie historically to your your ethnic group's tie to any kind of slavery and pres- uh, oppression just should be kind of off the table. I mean, I think that if you're claiming to be like the party of colorblind individualism, and you know, then you that's not something that's not an argument that you would make. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna make a logical argument against what someone says, make a logical argument against what someone says. But 
right? The reason that they're bringing race into it is because they're trying to get an emotional reaction out of mm-hmm. Nina, and they're trying to attack her because of her race. Like, if they're trying to make that argument because of her race, right? So I think that, and the fact that they they made that argument, and then when she was like, "Hey, why'd you make this race based argument?" They were like, "Why are you bringing race into it?" Well, you brought race into it, <laughs> you know. If well, what what is, what is your definition of of racism then? Of racism, mm-hmm. I think that. I've been thinking about this for a while, and let me see if I can come up with a coherent definition of racism. Because I think that if if you're saying that this wasn't racist, then like calling someone a house slave isn't racist either, or calling someone Uncle Tom isn't racist. And I think that there is an amount of animosity towards someone's race when you make arguments like this. Because you aren't seeing them as just a human being with a bad argument. I don't really know what they're trying to accomplish. <laughs> the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, like, what was the goal? To get more people to come vote for y'all? Because I don't think this is how you're going to accomplish that. Or is it just to be shit posters and go viral, which is more what I think they're trying mm-hmm. to do. So great, great stuff on that. Great thoughts on that, Kaya. I love the way that you think through this. And are there any other examples that you see other than just kind of feeling, seeing the hypocrisy between both sides, using these kinds of terms for people. Is there a time where it's ever okay to say, could, can you call, could you say this is super ghetto? Like if you're talking about a black person, a black people are more associated with the ghetto, you know, could you, are those, should those sort of insults or comparisons be off limits too? What do you think? I mean, I think that it depends on the intention in that sense. Like, I think that there are people who, like, I've seen people who will say that, like, black people shouldn't be called lazy because, because there are, there are racists who believe that black people are lazy. And I think that if you're calling someone lazy because they're lazy, that's one thing. When, if you're calling someone lazy because they're black, that's something else. And I think that when you try to insult someone and that insult is directly tied to, I am insulting you because of your race, or I am insulting you in this way because I just see you as your race. That is when I think that there's an issue versus if you're using normal language in the same language that you use with anybody else for any other reason, then, and then like, that's different. I think, again, I think that if you're going to like call yourself the like colorblind individualist party, or if you're going to call yourself, you know, Oh, I'm different than them because I don't see race and I don't believe in all of this stuff, then you're going to treat people the same way like no matter what their race is and that's not going to be a part of the argument at all yeah is the, is the does the libertarian party claim to be colorblind i don't know actually what their stance is i know that they they their whole thing is that they don't like the fact that the, the left is race obsessed mm-hmm. they, they've seen them the both the new hampshire specific account and the libertarian national account talk about um they don't like race baiting Right. And the fact that the left is obsessed with race. Well, that's so definitely when they put a race baiting tweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that is 100% race baiting. So I don't know how you uh, square that circle. Uh, yeah. I had somebody tell me once that I, that I shouldn't call black people thugs. Like that was a racial association term and that 
thug was the new nigger was what they told me <laughs> mm-hmm. was the new way to for people to sneakily just drop n-bombs they'll just call you a thug instead and at the time i said well i would call vladimir putin a thug too and, and he's a white guy so yeah in my mind i would use it for other people i probably would use it more often for to describe black at least black americans I don't know about around the world, but that's almost because a lot of Black Americans will call themselves thugs, right? There's there's songs about it. There's people who wear that badge with with pride. What do you think about what that about that term? Yeah, I think again the consistency thing. Like, I could see how pe- maybe people would not like to be called thugs because of the implications, but I do think that if you if you're being consistent with it because you you're like a thug is a person who does x and a person does x that aligns with what you consider a thug Mm -hmm. then yeah but i probably wouldn't it probably wouldn't come out as frequently for other i don't know that i've ever referred to like an asian person as a thug maybe i have but i don't think i probably not even though there are definitely asians that fit into if i were to write out a description of a thug is this this and this and this Obviously, there's going to be Asian people that fall into that category because there's enough Asians in the world to where they fall into probably pretty much every category that you can put people in. It might come out publicly that I'm only using thug to describe a certain ethnicity more than another, you know? And so Mm -hmm. that's something that I'm kind of thinking through right now as well. You know, if someone were to just search my tweets, what would it? you probably could make some of these accusations. You only refer to these people this way and these people that way. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not applying a consistent standard, but maybe, mm-hmm. maybe again, maybe I'm not, maybe I need to reflect on that. And maybe I do have some sort of bias within me to, to quickly give certain ethnic groups or types of people titles, whether they're negative or positive. I don't know. Yeah. I've been more, I think that sometimes the, because of the algorithm that you get tied into you see more things than others associated with certain groups like for example or i guess for me i've been using the term groomer a lot Mm -hmm. when it comes to kind of what we're seeing with like drag shows for kids and stuff Mm -hmm. and one of the things i've realized is that i you know i've been using i i do believe that a groomer is any adult that is dancing sexually for kids like i don't think that it matters whether you're you know gay or straight or you're in drag or not um, mm-hmm. but I definitely like if you look through my Twitter, you probably would see me talking more about the drag shows because that's what I see more of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can okay. very publicly state that, like, if, I also think that any child who was at a heterosexual woman's strip show is also, you know, on, <laughs> I would use the exact same word there as well. Uh, but that's not something that I see as much on my timeline. But yeah, that's a good, yeah. that's a really good comparison, actually. And people get accused of that all the time. Well, you're against these mm-hmm. drag shows, but what about? child pageants it's like i'm against yeah. child pageants too it just child isn't as well. in the forefront of the culture right now but sure yeah, yeah let's get rid of those too actually okay so we're at a good point to wrap things up but i now that you brought up groomer i have to ask you another question about that that word and your get your thoughts on it so there are there's arguments about the word grooming right are you a groomer if you are gyrating in front of children are you like sexually grooming them i think you're saying yes right if you're yeah if you're dancing sexually for kids you're a groomer yes right (laughs) so i think most people probably 
agree with that, right? I, yeah. I think that there's some a lot of consensus there. Where some people kind of go off into different camps is, am I grooming, am I only grooming you politically? Am I only groom, grooming and, and sexually or neither? If I'm a teacher, for instance, reading kindergartners, what's that book, Gender Queer or whatever that has mm-hmm. all the nasty photos in it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, nasty in my mind, like nasty for children, I'm saying. Adults do what you want to do. Is What kind of grooming is that, if any, in your opinion? What do you think? Um, I think I'd need to think more about, I think I have a, a, a few very obvious examples in my mind of grooming and a few that I'm like, I don't know. It, it is definitely inappropriate, but is this considered grooming on the like technical right. level? Right. And I think that's probably where the gender, some of these books fall into. We're like, is this absolutely inappropriate? Yes. Is this uh, something that should be taught in schools? Absolutely not. Uh, do I think that it falls under the same category as, and is this the exact same concept of this other thing that I think is very obviously grooming? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might not matter because I can just say both are bad, but right. Um, right. I, I do think that I have to think a little bit more about exactly where the borders of of grooming lies and where it just then just becomes inappropriate. No, no. Um, yeah. I don't think that those are necessarily always overlap with each other. Right. Um, and there's different, I see it as different levels, sort mm-hmm. of like when people, when, when I talk to people about what level of taxation is slavery, a hundred percent. Okay. That's slavery. You know, somebody's taking hundred yeah. percent of your income. If they take 50, if they take 80, there's levels to it. There's levels yeah. to slavery, which sounds weird. Like, how can there be level, levels to slavery? Like, you're either a slave yeah. or you're not kind of thing. And same thing with grooming. There's kind of levels to it, right? It's yeah. it's one thing to be half naked dancing. It's another to be reading a book. So I'm right there with you. I, yeah. I And I find myself flip-flopping. Like, I can't pick a team. Sometimes I'll, make, I'll hear someone make a really great argument. Like, no, this is sexually grooming for these reasons. No, it's only politically grooming. Or... It's neither. And I'm just like, ah, which is it? So it's kind of, I mean, I hate that these things exist, but it is, it's a fun intellectual exercise. I will say that. It is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. And also like, I've heard people ask like, should kids be able to be at like uh, football games where there's like cheerleaders dancing and like, is that also grooming in the same Mm, way? Yeah. Um, So yeah. 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 Great questions. Wow, we could do another hour on that alone. But <laughs> I'm going to hit you with the speed round. These are fun. Some of the questions are a little bit more serious, but mostly fun, fun questions for you to answer as quick as you can. There's no wrong or right answers. And then after we get through the speed round, I'll give you a moment to give any closing thoughts, promote anything that you want to promote. We'll, of course, link all your social media and all your all that good stuff in the show notes. So you don't need to spend like a ton of time going through my Twitter, my Substack, blah, 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 all that. But if there's any speaking engagements or things you've got coming up a new article that's about to drop whatever feel free to promote those Um, but right right now we'll get into the speed round are you ready i'm ready yes (laughs) where is there systemic racism in america I don't like the term systemic racism at all. I think that things are racist or they're not racist. And this term systemic racism as some other term type of racism doesn't make any sense to me. It almost always is just used to describe this idea that like differences in statistics equals discrimination. And that is a false premise. So I hate the term systemic racism to start with. Fair enough. What is the best part of waking up? The best part of waking up? Um... I go for my morning walk every morning. And that's my favorite part of my day. So I like to get up and walk. That's my favorite part of waking up. 
Whose stand-up do you prefer, Eddie Murphy or Chris Rock? I don't like stand-up. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> We're going to have to delete this whole podcast now, though. Is kneeling during the national anthem an appropriate form of protest? Appropriate? I think... In a... Oh, this is supposed to be speed round. I'm supposed to answer quickly. Um, no one answers. It's not quickly. hurting anyone. I think that it's up to like a private employer if they want to hire you or not. But I would say that there's nothing wrong as long as you're not hurting anyone. Should churches, including mosques, synagogues, etc., remain tax exempt? Um, well, I don't believe in taxation in general, so I'm going to go with <laughs> no My taxes girl. for anyone. <laughs> Who's the most underrated black intellectual? Oh, the most underrated? Me. No. Um, <laughs> I want to go with Thomas Sowell because I didn't actually hear about him at all until a year ago when I was on Twitter. So Yeah. Is the word Negro a slur? Um, I don't think that there is one ob- like objective definition of a slur. I think it depends on whether the person's offended by it or not. So I guess it would depend on whether the person's offended by the word or not. Okay. MLK or Malcolm X? Oh... Um, I'm gonna go with MLK. Do you think BET serves a worthwhile purpose? I think if people enjoy it, that's good for them. I personally don't enjoy a lot of the things on that channel, but okay. And finally, question number ten: What's your favorite cartoon movie? My favorite cartoon movie? Mm-hmm. Into the Spider Verse. Is that the first one or the second? That's the first one. Oh, across the well, maybe actually it might be across the Spider Verse. The second one, the second one. I haven't seen the second one yet. I've seen the first one, loved it. Was so afraid that it was going to be like preachy in some way, and then I just adored it. The first one, and I haven't seen the second one. And I've heard mixed. Some people oh. say it was the best thing since sliced bread, and some people are like, eh. I didn't like it as much as the first. But you're telling me I should go to it. Yes, absolutely. Okay, did it has a, did it have as good of a soundtrack? Yes. I tried to look up the soundtrack and it's I don't think it's available yet, at least not on like iTunes. I didn't see it. There's some there's yeah. a soundtrack is in like the score was there, yeah. but not the whatever the pop the pop songs that they feature in it. But I love the soundtrack for the first one too. I listen to it regularly all the time. Great workout music. Okay. Kaya, thank you so much for coming on. Final thoughts, things you want to say ideas you want to wrap up what do you want to put out there before we close out um thank you so much for for having me this was really fun um and i'm, I'm excited to to do more stuff with with free black thought in the future yeah no i think we wrapped up at a good place so okay awesome well you know we'll be in, in, in touch and you'll write again for the journal of free black thought and we'll be retweeting you as usual on our on our own twitter page we love you kaya thank you so much You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast.